I want to preach a message to you today called the purpose of pain. The purpose of pain. And I don't know about you, but this season that we've been in has not been easy. I, I would guess that the majority, 99% of us, have had some painful moments during these last four or five weeks, whether those painful moments came from just watching the news and hearing the tragedies of death um, across the world or hearing just the, the tragedy of people losing their jobs um, and just the difficulty that we're walking through. And when you go through pain, you got to ask yourself this question, God, what are you doing right now? That's what I've been asking. God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in the world? And what are you doing through this pain? God doesn't cause the pain, but God has a plan to turn the pain for your good and to turn the pain around to have a purpose for your life. I wanna preach this morning with a few special guests, but I wanna just start off with this clip that I just can't get out of my mind and my heart. And uh, it comes from a message from a long, long time ago. This person who you're about to hear this clip from uh, is in heaven. And I preached a little bit with him a few uh, a week or two ago. But I want you to watch what he says here because he's speaking specifically to what do you do when you don't understand what's going on in the world, what's going on in your life? How do you handle painful seasons, difficult seasons? All right, check this out. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk, because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there. Come on, that's powerful right there. He'll be there. And, you know, I was thinking about how Habakkuk in the Bible is the one who wrote those words, write the vision down. Habakkuk chapter two, verse three, if you're taking notes, and you could just shout, amen, in your house. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter two said, write the vision down, make it plain so that those who read it can run with it. And when the vision tarries, wait for it. That's what he said. When the vision tarries, if the vision tarries, wait for it. The word tarry means taking a long time. Tarry, tarry. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. The vision has a kairos moment. In other words, there's going to be a season between when you get the proclamation and when you get the promise, when you get the uh, anointing and when you get the appointing. When David was told by Samuel that one day he would be the future king of Israel, it wasn't for another 16 years before David actually stepped into that. You can be anointed before you're appointed. And usually between the, uh, the vision that God gives you and the manifestation of that vision is this long process full of hills and valleys 
and some, sometimes you're on the hill and you're thinking, oh, I just conquered Goliath. I just, I just won a, a, an award. I just did something great. Or this season is good. The finances are good. The family's good. And then you're going through a valley and you go through painful seasons. Like for, for my wife and I, when we first got married, we were on top of the world on that wedding day, that honeymoon. And then three weeks later, I lost my dad to cancer. And it was like my emotions, my life, my high just took the biggest plunge. It was like what happened to the stock market a month ago. Just, whew, what in the world is going on? And I remember that same month that I lost my father, I lost my grandfather, Papa, Clyde Swift, my mom's dad. Two deaths within two weeks. Then my wife's grandpa, my grandpa-in-law, he passed away the following week three deaths in three weeks. Then Oral Roberts, who was a mentor to my family and uh, almost like a grandpa to me, he passed away the week after that. Four deaths in four weeks. It was just, and I remember going through that time trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? What is the purpose of this pain? Is there a purpose? Does pain even have a purpose? And I want to tell you it does. And I love that Billy Graham said, it's almost like he was putting himself in Habakkuk's shoes, saying, God, what are you doing? Are you going to tell me what's going on here? <laughs> you gave me a vision. You told me to write it down. You told me Israel was going to have a turnaround. Because Habakkuk was speaking for the nation of Israel. Because Israel was in exile. Israel was powerful at one moment. And then overnight they lost everything. And they became a very uh, fractured nation in exile and captivity. And Habakkuk was saying, I know there's a vision of hope. I know greater things are ahead. I know we're gonna see a turnaround, but when, when? And in the meantime, what in the world is going on? <laughs> and I love that Billy Graham in that moment, he said, I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in my wallet. I put my trust in the living God because God can outlast all of the painful seasons you go through. God's word has outlasted all the difficulties, all the trials, all the troubles. If there's one person that you can trust, if there's one book that you can lean on, it's not the latest self-help book, it's the book that's outlasted all the trials and tribulations and difficulties and valleys and fatalities and genocides and viruses. And, and this word stands true. And so what Billy Graham was saying in that moment is, I'm going to put my trust in you. The purpose of pain, I think the first purpose of pain, is that we would learn to lean on God and not lean on anything else. When pain happens, you find out what you're leaning on. If you're leaning on your wallet, if you're leaning on your parents, if you're leaning on your spouse too much. And it's good to have relationships. It's good to have a, a loving, trusting relationship with your family, your friends. It's good to not live with fear about your finances, but you've gotta be careful who you lean on the most. You gotta be careful where you put your biggest trust in. The first purpose of pain is to draw us closer to God, to draw us closer to a leaning on God. All right, now I got another guest speaker that, uh, him and I had a conversation a few years ago 
And we were talking about the importance of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs learning to persevere through difficult times. That some of the greatest inventions, some of the greatest um, businesses and ideas came during an economic downturn, came during a time when no one was inventing, no one was thinking outside the box, people were very afraid. And so this is a conversation between me and Bishop T.D. Jakes. Come on. I want you to hear a little bit of what we talked about that day, and then I'm going to preach a little bit about it. Something that I think God wants us to see about having the courage and the tenacity to own the creativity that's put in you by the Creator, to move away from the pack and stand by yourself and let God speak to you and show you why are you here? Why were you born in the family you were born, in the generation you were born, at the time you were born, in the circumstances that you were born, that the potter was so careful to carve you out a certain way where you don't need people, or you do need people, or you don't need validation, or you do need validation. He cut you up in certain places so that you would fit like a key in a lock. You're broken in all the right places so that when you find your spot, something is going to open for you. And when it opens for you, every blessing that's been closed out is going to pour in your dimension. You see what I'm saying? That's you know, when he said that, I remember just thinking in my own life that there have been moments where I thought, man, am I, am I broken in the wrong places? Do I have the wrong personality? Did I miss God in some season of my life? And I love that he said what he said, because it's true. God uses even the broken places, even the flawed areas in our life, even the painful seasons to open the door that no one else could walk through except for the one who walked through the pain that you walk through. Your pain has a purpose because on the other side of this pain, there's gonna be doors that only you could walk through that no other generation could walk through because they didn't go through the same pain that you went through. Come on, somebody! Woo! I'm just preaching to me right here. We've walked through pain in this season that the, the great cloud of witnesses didn't walk through. They walked through a pain that we didn't walk through. And because they walked through a pain we didn't walk through, they walked through doors that we didn't walk through. But we're walking through a pain that they didn't walk through, which means we're gonna walk through doors they didn't walk. Come on, somebody, get a revelation this morning that your pain has a purpose. What I'm talking about. God kept me in West Virginia and in a particular part of West Virginia for the first 10 years of my pastorate, I didn't see over 100 people. Ever. Wow. Ever. For the first 10 years of my ministry, I taught Bible class to big crowds of 12. Yeah. So <laughs> that's funny because right now that's what we're doing. <laughs> I'm preaching to big crowds of 12 in the building this morning. <laughs> God has a purpose even during this quarantine to use it for your good. All right, go ahead, Bishop. It'd be seven old ladies and two of them be sleep. And and if it were if it were for this that I did it, wow, I would have quit. He hid me in obscurity. Wow. 
He developed me in the matrix of frustration. Put me in there long enough so that I would know why I do it. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you write. It doesn't matter what you put in the paper. It doesn't matter what you say because you're writing about 30 years later, but you missed the first 30 when my car was broke down and I was thumbing up the road to teach Bible class and climbing over coal trucks to preach and minister to groups of 20. Wow. You, 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 greatness festers in isolation and frustration. Wow. Okay. You need to write that down right now. Greatness festers in isolation and frustration. All of us are walking through both of those things right now. Hello. We are all in the middle of greatness that is being developed on the inside of us. This message is more prophetic than even I realize right now. Because a year from now, I'm going to go back to this message and go, wow, I was preaching on what I'm walking in right now in the midst of pain because pain has a purpose. Greatness is being developed in the midst of frustration and isolation. What makes you the man of God you are is never what they see you do on stage. It's the agony that nobody sees. It's the rolling over in your bed in the middle of the night and tears running across the bridge of your nose. That's what makes you a mighty man of God. It's never what you do in the spotlight. It's what you do in the agony of your womb twisting and turning in the matrix of development. And then out of that groaning and moaning comes an utterance from God that shakes the world. And that is true of business. And that is true of life. The, the Wright brothers were not the first guys to try to build a plane, but they are the ones who did it. And they are the ones who are credited for doing it because many people started but they're the only ones who didn't quit. I want to just say something on that. Two things. He said it is in the midst of our agony, in the midst of our pain, that we are developed as leaders. It's not what we do on the stage. It's what we do off the stage. It's the phone calls no one else hears. It's the conversations no one else is listening to. It's the tears that no one else watches. And the Bible says that God catches all of our tears. Those who sow in tears will reap a harvest of joy if they don't quit. The key in the midst of pain is to develop a character. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, Paul Doherty, Daniel Henshaw, Amy Farquhar, whoever you are watching on the other side of that screen. Consider it pure joy when you face pain of any kind because pain gives you a chance to grow. So pain is not from God, but pain is an invitation that God Get in the midst of pain, God offers an invitation to grow your character, to grow into the pastor, the leader, the father, the mother, the businesswoman, the businessman, the wife, the husband, whoever God's called you to be. God's saying in the midst of pain, I'm going to develop your character. And like the Wright brothers, if you don't know who the Wright brothers are, those are the two guys that invented the first airplane. They made the first airplane. They weren't the first ones to try. They were the first ones to not quit. God's going to give you ideas in the midst of this. What you've got to develop is a perseverance to say, I refuse to quit. I refuse to quit doing what God's called me to do. 
You only win if you don't quit. So good. You only win if you don't quit. If you go through the dark place and the tough place and the scary place and the flapping and falling place and, and you, though he slay me and though I'm broke, yet shall I trust him and though it doesn't look good. If you, if you really believe it and you suffer through all of that, after a while, if you suffer with him, you're going to reign with him. You're going to reign with him. Whether you started on the ground or you started in the air, every great leader will be tested by pain. Nobody escapes, no matter how talented or anointed or gifted. I remember you shared on that when you came in 2009, two weeks after my dad passed away. And you talked to our church about we're like an arrow being pulled back in a bow mm -hmm. and adversity had been coming. And man, it was a painful season for me. Yeah. But you spoke life to my soul. And I wanted to quit. But you made me want to stay. And we went through stuff I shared with you. Yeah. But I listened to your podcast a lot. And I read your books. And um, I don't know, just from a distance, your voice stirred me. Don't quit. Don't quit. Yeah. Someone out here is facing things. It's causing them to want to quit yeah, because they're not seeing any breakthrough and you said in your book you know this millennial generation they want it fast and I heard someone say we're a microwave generation with a crock pot God mm -hmm. and uh, he takes his time mm -hmm. and man thankfully in this last year there's been breakthrough happening in our church it's, been, it. it's God it's I Jesus it. but I want you to talk to someone who's been feeling like it because your book it really gives that language to not quit. The, the thing, the reason where faith really becomes a valuable message to an entrepreneur, because in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to get out of the nest. When the eaglet is in the nest, it doesn't have to fight for food. The mother brings it to it. But when you get out of the nest, you're going to go through fluctuations. You're going to go through fluctuations. And they always are, are not always financial. You don't get to pick what he uses to shake you. <laughs> Nobody escapes to all of the poor people who are looking at rich people saying, they got away clean. They didn't have to go through anything. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They just didn't go through the same thing that you went through. Yeah. Nobody escapes the dark room because if you're going to develop the picture, you have to put it in the dark room. In those moments of fluctuation, that's where God lives. Wow. God lives in the dark places, in the shadows, in the agony. He said, I am a present help in trouble. So if you're in trouble, you got good company because I'm there with you. I'm there with you. You don't have the right to stand and lead until you have stooped and suffered. You have nothing to say until you have cried and groaned and ran the other way and wanted to get out of it. You'll never be a prisoner of the gospel until you have tried your chains to see if you could get away 
And so whether it is the death of a, of a sibling or a parent or a spouse or a crippling disease or a financial despair or a public humiliation, the, the oil of the apothecary is made by the crushing of the root. If the root is not crushed, there will be no aroma. And when you start talking about business, there are crushing moments in business. There are moments that things don't work out. And the problem today is, it's not just millennials based on age. We have some candy-coated Christians who think that if something goes wrong, it's not God's will. Let me explain something to you. The emblem of our faith is a cross. Yeah. That's a fairly good warning <laughs> that what you are signing up for could get kind of bloody. If your master is hanging from a tree bleeding, hollering, follow me, that's a fairly good hint that this is not going to be a midnight party. This, there are seasons that try men's souls to the breaking point. You know, I want to just talk a little bit about what he just said. There are seasons that try our souls to a breaking point. It's in those seasons, like he was just referencing, that God is revealing himself to us, that he hides. God is in the shadows. God is in the painful seasons. In fact, I honestly believe that God is more present in the pain than he is at times on the mountaintop. Here's why I say that, because on the mountaintop, you're feeling great and you forget that you need God until you go through a valley. And that's when all the people start coming back to church, start tuning back in going, God, I need you. Now, that may not be for every Christian, because a lot of Christians have a just a strong, consistent relationship with God. But there are many Christians, like he said, that have a candy coated religious mindset that, you know, God's going to make everything great. It's all going to be fine. And Lord, I pray away every adversity. I pray away anything that would cause me to feel, you know, difficulty. And yet Job learned God's providence and power in the midst of his pain. Joseph learned that God was an ever-present help of time in need while Joseph was in the pit, while Joseph was in the prison, while Joseph was accused, humiliated with this public embarrassing accusation that wasn't even true. Joseph discovered that God's promises still come to pass. What God's doing in the midst of this pain is he's teaching all of us to lean on him, to trust in him, and to grow in our character and grow in that place of perseverance. We're getting thicker skin. We're getting to this place. This last week, I was talking with a pastor who said um, one of his parishioners, one of his members in another country ended his life because of the pandemic. And he left behind three kids and a wife, all kids that were under the age of 10 years old. And the pastor said, pray for me, Paul. It's, it's very hard in our country. This is a pastor in India. And he said, they're beating people who walk out the doors. And man, I just wept when I heard that because I, I don't know what it's like to go through the pain that they're going through. I know what it's like to go through the pain we're going through right now. 
in my own context with kids and here in Tulsa, it's different than it would be in Sacramento, California, Los Angeles, New York City. Everyone is going through something, but we're not all going through the same thing. What we've got to do, and this pastor was saying, pray that my people will not lose heart because they have food. He said, we're, we're getting food to them, but they don't know how to see past this. And when you don't know how to see past pain, you start crumbling in the midst of pain and losing a vision for the future. This is why Habakkuk said, write the vision down, hold on to the vision. Don't lose your vision in the middle of the pain. We're gonna get through this. Business leaders, you're gonna get through this. And you're gonna have greater success on the other side of this, I truly believe it, if you hold on to hope, if you hold on to the vision, and if you let God develop you, grow you, strengthen your character, strengthen your generosity. We're seeing this in Tulsa. So many business leaders rising up in compassion, rising up in sacrificial generosity, rising up in this hour with innovation. Don't lose hope in the midst of pain. I think it's how God guards greatness to keep imposters from stealing it. He puts greatness behind agony. And if you're not tough enough to endure it, you'll walk away from it. That way the thief can't steal it. You have to pay a price somewhere in your life in order to be who you are. I realized, I realized in my own life that when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that he wasn't talking about wood. Everybody in here has some kind of cross that you can't get off of, that you are nailed to, that doesn't go away. A thorn that in your flesh that doesn't get healed an agony in your life that you deal with in the secrecy of your own mind. A child you can't connect with. A spouse that wasn't what you imagined. A life, a relative, an agony that keeps you humble, that stops you from being arrogant that becomes the gymnasium that your faith works out in. Everybody, everybody that is truly a Christian, in order to be in covenant with God, Abraham, you gotta bleed somewhere. I may cut you in a place that they can't see, but if you are really in covenant with me, take your son out here and cut him where the people can't see. Because the sign that you are in covenant is that you bled somewhere. Wow. We call it circumcision. But it's bigger than the circumcision of the flesh and it's bigger than the nailing to wood. All of us have something in our lives where God proves himself to us through the suffering that we endure in that area. That is so good. That is so good. You know, I've often thought about how circumcision is such a clear understanding that God uses things to cut away stuff that is unnecessary. You know, when Joshua was getting ready to lead the Israelites into Jericho, the promised land, God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter five. 
He said, circumcise this generation. Now these were grown men. They were not little kids. They weren't babies. They were adult men. And he said, you've got to circumcise these men before they go into the promised land. There's things they picked up in the wilderness that can't make it into the next season. There's stuff that, that developed in them around the other generations that they've got to have stripped away before they go into Jericho. I think God might be using this painful season to circumcise his church and to say, church, there's some stuff that has to be pulled off. There's some stuff that has to be cut away. There's some things that have to change. I think God is circumcising his church for greater things that are ahead. I think God is using, come on somebody. I think God's using pain. He didn't cause the pain, but he's using it to prepare us for greater things that are ahead. He shows us that not only can he deliver you from it, that he can deliver you in it and through it and with it, yes. with it. He says, I don't have to remove your thorn to make you a mighty man of God. In fact, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So I heard you praying, Paul, and the same guy who prayed and raised the dead could not remove his own thorn because that is what really produces greatness and crushes the root and produces the anointing that somewhere in your life, often where no one can see, there is an agony so that when you raise your hands, you won't be phony. And when you lift your hands and tears run down your face, it won't be because the camera's on. Because of something in your life and something that you remember and something that you know down in your soul has brought you into a relationship with God that you couldn't read in a book and you couldn't buy in a tape. You suffered. Can anybody relate to that? Clap if you can relate to that. Come on, somebody. So good. So good. Okay. <laughs> now, that right there is exactly what I needed to hear. If you needed to hear it, I want you to jump on the chat right now. I'm going to come down to this TV where we've got the chat going. And I want to just read some of your comments. There's a purpose in the midst of pain. He's preparing us. He's developing us. He's cutting things off that are not of God. Preach it, Paul. Come on, somebody. I needed to hear that. Everything's coming into clear view. God is calling us to a real holiness. The flesh is being pulled off. No more walking in the natural. I want to encourage you right now to jump on our chat. I want you to talk to me about how this message is speaking to you. What did you get right now out of that clip? Now, I want to go into one more clip before we end this service, and I'm going into a, a part two of this message in the next service, so you need to watch it because I've got a few other guest speakers that are going to join in with me. But before I show you this next clip, it's interesting because both of these speakers spoke in different years to our church, and both of them hit on the very same thing. What is God doing in the middle of your pain? How is God using this pain? Not that he caused it, but that he's going to use the painful seasons, the difficult seasons, the thorns that just seem to not go away to call us to a greater place of trust, holiness, 
purity, genuine, authentic faith. So I want you to hear this clip from my friend, Pastor Stephen Furtick. Come on, somebody. It means that I can hate the situation and want God to change the situation, but choose to see my situation in a way that says, you know, and this is what the older preacher said to me. I said, what would you change about your ministry? He said, there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't choose, but there's nothing I would change. And I thought there was wisdom in it when he said it. He was saying, in other words, some of the things that I would have prayed away in my life were the very vehicles God used to deliver the greatest grace. Some of the things that I don't like about myself that I wish were different, like some of the things about myself that I keep asking God to fix, if he fixed those things, it would limit the amount of favor that I could receive from him. And let me tell you why. Because in my weakness, he is strong. Yeah. His, that's what he told Paul one time when Paul was asking him, take this thorn away. Paul said, I had a thorn. What was it, Paul? I'm not telling you. It's none of your business. Let's just call it a thorn. It was something that I didn't like. Was it a physical ailment? Not going to tell you. Was it a person in your life? Not going to tell you. Was it an opponent that was trying to bring you down? Not going to talk about it. It was a thorn. Let's call it a thorn. And I asked God, take it away. And God said, no. So I asked him again, pretty please. And he said, still no. And I asked him again, cherry on top. And he said, still no. Instead, I'm going to give you something greater than relief. I'm going to release a grace in your situation. If I'm too busy trying to escape the situation, I can miss the grace that God wants to release into the situation. Hold on. I want you to hear that. If I'm too busy trying to escape the situation, then I'm going to miss the grace that God wants to release in this situation. We've got to be careful that during this pandemic, during this shelter in place, that we're not making ourselves more busy to try to get our minds off of the pain. And we've got to learn to really take a moment to sit like Job did when Job was going through a painful season. I love a post that um, our kids pastor, Pastor Amy, put up on her Instagram this last week. She said, I'm giving myself permission, permission to grieve. Grieving is not a sin. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible about grief called Lamentations. Now, I don't suggest we live in Lamentations. I don't think our, our Christian walk is supposed to be grieving the whole time, but I think it's healthy to take moments in our Christian journey where we do what Jesus did when he found Lazarus dead and his family all around him weeping. What did Jesus do? Jesus wept. He cried. I think we got to give ourselves permission in the midst of pain not to be so busy, you know, trying to do more work, do more activities, more activities, more activities, get our minds off things, watch more Netflix, watch Disney Plus, read more books. I think we've got to pause in the middle of that and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know when this is going to be over. But God, rather than just wishing this away, I'm asking that you would reveal to me your grace. 
your grace. There it is right there in your home. I can just feel it right here. His grace is coming to your apartment, your home, your dorm room. God is going to, I believe God will deliver us from the pain at the right time. But I also believe God is delivering us from ourselves in the pain. And he's teaching us to trust in him and to receive his grace and not just be so busy that we miss what God is wanting to do in this moment. So Paul says, I didn't choose these chains, but if it takes these chains to bring the glory of God into this prison, God, if you're not going to remove these chains, if you're not going to change it, if you're not going to deliver me from it, deliver it out of me. If you're not going to change the situation, use the situation to change me. Come on. This is a faith message, you know? I'm just speaking to someone who's in a situation that you did not choose to be in. And you need to change your prayer. Hold up. That's all of us. <laughs> None of us chose to be in this season. And I love what he said. I'm speaking to someone who didn't choose to be in this season. That's all of us. And he said, change your prayer. Now watch what he says here about what we should pray. You need to change your prayer. Because when you find yourself in that situation, whether it's a dysfunction within yourself or a disappointment in your life, this is what Paul did. And I, I don't do this well, so I'm not, I'm not preaching on my own authority. I'm just telling you what the man did that wrote like half of the New Testament. He said, God, if you're not going to remove these chains, then use these chains. Use it. Use it. I'm in chains for Christ. He chose to see it that way. Like I said, I'm in, I'm in chains unfairly because of a decision that was made in haste when I was tried in an inappropriate way. He said, no, no, no. God didn't put these chains on me, but now that I'm in these chains, there's two ways to see this situation. And one way to see it is, I'm chained to this Roman guard. But I don't see it that way. The way I see it, he's chained to me. And while I'm here, I might as well preach. Don't get it twisted. Just because I'm in this prison doesn't mean the gospel has stopped advancing. Just because right now I don't have the position that I want in life, just because I'm single doesn't mean I'm alone. Don't let my singleness fool you. I am in a season of great significance, and I am not waiting on someone to complete me. I'm so sorry, Jerry Maguire and Renee Zellweger, but I'm already complete. I already have one that is within me. Here's how he said it. I'm not a hostage. I'm not in control here, but I still have a choice. I love that. I'm not in control here, but I still have a choice. What we're realizing in the midst of this quarantine is that we're not in control. We're not in control of when the government's going to reopen a country, reopen a city, a state. It's in the hands of governors, mayors, the president. In some cases, they're saying it's in the hands of a scientist, a cure. But ultimately, we do have a choice. Every day, I have a choice. Shelter in 
is not my choice. <laughs> That's what I have to do. But misery is my choice. I don't have to live in misery just because I'm going through a quarantine, just because I'm in an isolated time, just because I'm going through a painful season doesn't mean I have to let pain make me bitter, make me miserable, make me a jerk, make me mean to my family, mean to my wife, to my kids. I have a choice every day that I'm going to choose kindness I'm gonna, or I'm going to choose rude, rudeness. I'm going to choose love or I'm going to choose meanness, hurt, hate. I'm going to choose forgiveness or I'm going to hold on to my emotions and feelings and make them pay for how they did me wrong. I get to choose whether I'm going to be a prisoner to selfishness or be a prisoner to righteousness, whether I'm going to be in chains to narcissism and to, to uh, what me, myself and I, what I want to do, what's best for me, or being chains to completely surrendering to Christ saying, God, not my will, but thy will be done. It's not about me. It's not for me. It's not from me. It's not through me. It's you, God. And we've got to switch how we're handling the pain and the things that we're going through that are out of our control. We still have a choice. I have a choice. I don't, I don't decide when I get out of this prison. God is sovereign over that, and I'm going to leave that to him. I don't get to I don't, I don't get to choose what happens next, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. So God is using these chains. and God has a significant assignment for every life represented in this room tonight. You know, I want to just stop right there. As we go into this time of prayer and surrender, I'm going to preach part two of this message with a couple others in the next service that you don't want to miss. And I want to encourage you to tune back in. Tell your family to tune in. Tell your friends to tune in. Um, but I really believe to close out this service, this is a good point to stop. And I want to just ask you a question. As you're at your house, as your, your, your apartment, your parents' house, wherever you live right now, wherever you're staying, wherever you're watching this from, my question to you is, how are you handling the pain right now? How are you handling the pain? Are you going back to old habits to cope with the pain? Are you opening the door to new habits that are unhealthy to deal with the pain? For some, maybe you've gone and gotten more liquor. You've gone and you've looked at junk on the internet. You've connected or hooked up with people you shouldn't be hooking up with in ways you shouldn't be hooking up. For some of you, maybe it's just been anger outbursts. You've just been exploding with anger at people that you don't want to explode at anger with, but for some reason, that's how you're coping with the pain. You're just screaming, you're cussing, you're, you're losing your cool, you're losing your patience. How are you handling the pain? How are you handling the pandemic? Are you handling it with faith or with fear? Are you giving into anxiety? Are you giving into depression? Are you allowing this to weigh you down more than it should? Are you giving into thoughts of wanting to just throw in the towel on life? Today is a great day to turn your perspective towards pain from a place of anger and hurt and escaping it and busyness and trying to get your mind off of it to a place of, Lord, help me to see what you're doing. And if I can't see it, help me to know your grace, to feel your grace, to experience your grace in the midst of this thorn, in the midst of this painful time. You know, both of those preachers quoted Paul from 2 Corinthians 11. 
And what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 is he said, I prayed three times for this thorn to be taken away. But instead, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So what is God going to do in the midst of our pain? How is this purpose going to prevail? We're going to let his power be perfected. We're going to let his grace come into our house. We're going to let his grace come into our hearts, our lives. We're going to receive it on a daily basis. When you start to feel afraid, anxious, angry, frustrated, angry at coworkers, angry at your boss, angry at the government, frustrated at your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, when you start to feel those feelings of, of just wanting to mishandle the pain the wrong way, that's when you need to just pause, go into another room and just say, Lord, I need your grace. So why don't we close our eyes all over this place, all over homes across the world right now as you're tuning in. And if that's you right now and you're saying, man, I, I need grace, I need God's help. I want you to raise your hand in your house. In this room, if there's staff members that you need to do this, I want you to raise your hand in this room. We got, a, we got staff saying, yeah, I need that grace. I need that peace. I need God's perspective on the pain that I'm walking through. Now I want you to go to the chat right now and just click on the hand raised. Click on that chat, just type in, if you're on YouTube, if you're on Victory, just say, that's me. That's me, that's me, I need that. I need God's grace, I need his help. I need him to help me walk through this pain with a purpose to grow in my relationship with him, whatever it is, you just begin to write it in there. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, I surrender. I choose to trust in you, to lean on you, to receive your grace. God, give me grace. By faith, I believe that your grace is already in my life. Every day, I receive your grace. Your power is being perfected in my weakness. Lord, I trust in you. And I repent where I have mishandled pain. I repent for words I've said, thoughts I've had, actions I've done that are not bringing glory to you. And I choose to live with grace. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.